Hey Jackson, answer me this. What is game? <laughs> Tetris. That's that's not an answer. Okay. Um, game is the Call of Duties, the World of Warcraft, and Halo. Is that all the video game? <laughs> Those are the video game. Well, this podcast should be easy then. <laughs> Welcome to Abnormal Mapping, Episode 2. I'm your host, Matthew Marco, and with me is co-host Jackson Tyler. Hello. And we're here to talk about video games and the PlayStation 4. What is a PlayStation 4? It's a video game console. It what came it? out. Oh, that's that's interesting. When did that happen? When did the future arrive? The future arrived as of this recording about three days ago. Okay. Is it good? Is it a good... What would you give it as a score? Um, you can put games in it. You probably don't want to. Uh, <laughs> because there's nothing to put in it that's good that you can't get elsewhere. Uh, but that Rezo gun's neat. I, I saw you playing a bit of that for like two seconds. What are you? What is that game? Is it good? It's Defender. It's Defender. I, I'm a child. Okay. Defender? So like Defender is this... A horizontal shooter. You know what a horizontal shooter is, right? I do know what a horizontal shooter is. Okay. And the idea is that the, the screen loops, so you start and you go, and eventually you'll come back around to where you were, even if you don't okay. change direction. And okay. there are little astronaut guys you have to pick up and take to safe zones while you're fighting all the enemies, because uh, the enemies want to destroy the guys and you want to save them. And it's like that, except instead of just a like a scrolling level that wraps around, it's an actual cylinder... And inside the cylinder is a weird voxel city that blows up as you shoot stuff. And it's uh, full of lights and noise. It's, you know, like Geometry Wars was kind of like a weird remake of old arcade games. Same with Super Stardust. That's yeah. like what Resogun is. It's cool. What does Resogun mean? What is the Resogun? I don't know. If you believe Vinnie Caravella, it's a thing inside a TV that make that shoots resolution lines. It's, it literally is a resolution gun. I like that Vinny being done. It, like in a CRT, I wouldn't be surprised if the thing that like drew the lines on the screen is called a reso gun. That seems dumb enough to be true. <laughs> just like how microwaves have a thing called a magnetron in it, and that just sounds like it's a space laser. You're right. That is pretty ridiculous. Like magnetron is, you know, the thing in Star Trek, right? I guess. Like if you hook it up to the deflector array, you can go back in time. <laughs> yeah. It emits chrono particles or whatever. <laughs> we're we're not going to talk about the PlayStation Four. You know why? Because we do not cover news. We don't. But I, I have one. Okay, breaking news. <laughs> it's not breaking news. <laughs> the only the only reason that's important is because sometimes I, I hit that share button and select stream, and then I let people watch me play games poorly on the internet. Which you can do, and anyone listening can do by. Uh, following my twitch i guess our twitch channel 
at uh, twitch.tv slash abnormal mapping. Yeah. So that's that's yeah. news, but podcast specific. It's not breaking news of the actual kind. I mean, if you don't follow us on Twitter and are listening to this because you uh, stumbled down a weird internet hole, <laughs> maybe it's breaking Hi. news to you. Well, also, welcome to this internet hole. Glad to see you're still here. You'll never escape. <laughs> You'll never escape. So yeah, I mean, we've, we've got that going for us. Uh, we've got the Tumblr going, right? We're going to put bios on there, because I said we were last episode, and then we've had a busy month, both of us. Yeah, we're going to put bios in, we're going to, you know, if you put the Skype conversation we had. Yeah, there's, there might form. be secret text podcasts that arrive unfiltered. It just kind of gives you an idea of if anything can go up there if we think it's relevant. Just... If we got stuff to say, it'll go up there in some form or another. I mean, I wouldn't say that we had a whole lot to say, but it's a good example of why we started this podcast because we were doing that all the time, and we were like, "Why aren't we recording this? This is way this would be way better if people could listen to it." Pretty much, yeah. So, uh, other breaking news. I wish I had a news stinger, but I'm not going to find one on the royalty-free <laughs> site for this. It's the Terminator news stinger. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. Um, <laughs> We've also got a Twitter account for Abnormal Mapping itself. It's uh, you know, at Abnormal Mapping, and we have a we have a, we have an email too, right? We do. It's it's, abnorm- do. it's Abnormal Mapping Podcast at Gmail I think that's right. Yes, that's yeah. right. Because we couldn't have. Oh yes, I remember now. Because I was going to make questions dot abnormal mapping at gmail dot com or whatever. It was, it was questions at abnormal mapping dot com at gmail dot com, which was and too it, long. And then when I tried to use <laughs> punctuation to do that, it sent everyone's computers into the weird recursive email loop that would yeah. crash your browser. It did that to me too. Uh, <laughs> so that was a dumb idea. It's twenty thirteen. They still haven't worked that out. Gmail said you could use periods, so I did. They didn't tell oh, me what sure. would happen if I did. <laughs> no, unforeseen consequences. So that's that's a thing, though. You know, we're going to ask questions on Twitter too. If you follow Abnormal Mapping on Twitter, you will get up to the minute we posted a thing on Tumblr or someone streaming a video game. I don't think we're going to use it for much more than that. So because RSS feeds are dead, use that. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, the emails for if, if you really need to send us something longer, then sure, but. Just just get in touch on any of the many ways, and that's cool. Yep. Feel free to ask us questions. We'll address them at the end of any episode. We have questions this month. It's very exciting. I'm excited. I don't even know what one of them is. Oh, you don't. You didn't check our Tumblr ask box. <gasps> I should do that. No, don't. It'll. Because okay. I'll ask surprise. you the question, and I will want a serious answer. Because we will give even the dumbest questions considered answers. <laughs> y- yep. He's right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> So, with that out of the way, uh, let's talk about what we're going to talk about. Right. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Yeah, you, were you about to say video games? Uh, yes. Yeah, this is a podcast about video games. <laughs> I meant specifically that we are going to talk about two video games. Um, and those video games are The Swapper and Pokemon XY. So I guess... Three video three games. Video- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, three video games. Pokemon X, Pokemon Y, and the Swapper. I, I hate everything we've done just now. This podcast is over. I want to die.
Segment two, uh, we're going to talk about The Swapper, which is a PC game that came out this year, puzzle game uh, from Facepalm Games, uh, which are two uh, University of Helsinki students. Um, and it, essentially it's a braid-like game in which you are a 2D man that has to solve puzzles with a weird mechanic, as many games in the last five years have been. But it's a really, really, really good one of those. Uh, I liked it a lot. What did you, what did you think of it, Matt? Uh, yeah, I really liked the Swapper a lot, uh, since you didn't bother saying what the game is about <laughs> in terms of theme. Okay, well, that's uh, how it's going to be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, uh, the Swapper uh, begins with you as a mysterious space-suited person who is uh, jettisoned into space against their will and arrives on a planet to find a gun that allows you to create clones and swap to them. And you use that to get back on the space station, open doors, solve puzzles, and figure out why someone would dare to jettison you into the black void of space. Which makes it sound way more like a revenge tale. It's actually a really moody puzzle platformer, like you said. Yep. Uh, Considering your protagonist is silent and all of the story is very mysterious. Yeah, it's a, you, and essentially you find three-word audio logs everywhere. Well, you find... No, I know, I'm saying that in terms of the way that they do it, you go across a location on the map, and then some story comes in your face. That's true. Uh, there, you know, you go around. It, uh, the game is kind of this weird claymation-style thing. Uh, it's, it looks like a lot of, like photographed objects i don't think it is but it, it's definitely no, it, made to look it good. is it's okay they actually made the game in clay and i don't know how whether they painted over them or took photos but that's how it gets the look it has it looks, yeah, it looks really good and then you run around and interact with computer terminals and talk to magic space rocks yep all the magic space rocks every single one yeah no did you get all of them yeah yeah of course you did. yeah they are giant spongy rocks that speak to you through weird shaky telepathy yep so i suppose the thing that is worth talking about is well actually i want to pose a question to you okay the swapper is this story about trying to figure out what happened and the mysteries of these rocks and what it means to like the game deals with identity and cloning and the soul because your gun supposedly transfers this your soul into these clones and then you carry on. Uh, but the game is really about standing on switches to open doors. Do you think that's an incongruous thing? Because I've been thinking about this a lot. Um. Where the story is like this like very like heady, philosophical thing. And the game is literally, I went to a hub and there's four branches. And each branch has a puzzle. And then I do the puzzles. And then I get to open the big door to the next area with a new hub. I, and the two, the two don't really connect that much. They connect a little bit. In the, I think there's something about the fact that, although it is, yes, here's a game with a bunch of puzzles that you have to do, like many, many, many other games with a bunch of puzzles that you have to do, and a uh, story is layered on top of that. There is something about the fact that it is designed so it is impossible to get through without using the swapper. I, I think the, the, the fact that they chose to make the central mechanic one you couldn't ignore in the way the story goes. I don't know. It's... Hmm. 
That is a hard question. That you because the reason I ask is because I've been seeing a lot of reticence in certain critical circles about the default mode for indie games being this puzzle platformer, and oftentimes that might not be appropriate to the actual theme. And I wonder if the swapper is necessary, like it's necessarily vital, because all of the door stuff is totally gamey stuff gating put on top of the mechanics uh that said yeah the actual usage of shooting like creating clones and transferring yourself to them in order to traverse and stuff is gives you time to experience this thing over and over to where it becomes this oh i think it's totally normal that to ascend a vertical shaft i'm basically shooting copies of myself into the air and watching the previous ones fall to their deaths over and over again uh because that is maybe the game's best mechanic of how you survive long falls or climb shafts is just form one of you above or below you (laughs) and then swap to it before you hit the ground so good it's it's really upsetting Because you'll, like, if you're descending a vertical shaft, you'll do one right at the floor and then swap to it. And then as you take control of that new person, there'll just be a body lying at your feet. Or several bodies lying at your feet. (laughs) Which is generally the way it goes. I I think it's an obstacle. It's essentially an obstacle course created to force you to use the central mechanic as much as possible in order to raise the questions it wants to raise. I don't... I don't think that necessarily the gameplay that it has it is the one it needed to be to to get to those questions, to get to the whole things about the soul and you know one on one philosophy of teleporters. Basically, it's the thing that everyone thinks about when you watch Star Trek: of is the guy on the surface the same guy as the guy who actually went in the teleporter? It's pretty much what it is, right? And at least it was to me. Uh, was that the same thing? The, the, oh yeah, the game yeah. definitely focuses on that idea of what identity is and what like you create these copies and then your other option is to transfer your soul into it. But because they are identical copies of you, who's to say which one is the one that matter? Like which one is the real you at some point? Yeah. Is there a soul that's being transferred? Like the prime copy of protagonist is the one that played through the entire game or is it just the thousandth copy that makes it through the game like the final part of the game leaving a wake of prior copies like i like dead lying around <laughs> the space station or absorbed into nothingness because when you touch a clone of yourself you basically devour it like amoebas yeah i hmm hmm and the game outright like deals with those things oh. through the scientist logs and the space rocks. Totally. The space rocks seem totally unconvinced of an idea of a soul because they're a weird, like amorphous hive mind kind of thing. Yeah, they have a completely different way of thinking about things than you and the uh, well other human in the game. Uh, yep, it's just it's just the two humans and the prophets. Pretty much, I I think the. In terms of the way the mechanics work and the way that the questions the game is trying to work, the biggest conflict is who the player, as in the observer who is deciding which which one is in charge, that doesn't line up properly. You don't for a game about identity and who you're controlling, you don't know who you are as the player. 
I, I don't know. I think there's a weird fourth wall thing there. Well, you're whichever one is the game is focusing on, like the camera's focusing on. No, I, I know that, but it never... The story doesn't seem to... I don't know, the story makes less sense when you think about the fact that you as the player have been controlling them the whole time. Like, how are they... How are all the clones following one... Um, you know, following like mimicking the movements of one other clone, the prime clone at the time? How are they doing that but if they're it all doesn't, sentient? It doesn't matter... Like, when you have four clones running in tandem, it doesn't matter which one you're, the player is controlling slash which one the camera is focused on. The result is actually the same no matter what. The result is the same, but it, it, it does matter because you're, you're only in charge of one and you can only... Like, the only way that breaks is which one gets to pick up the orb. Like, that's the only thing where yeah. I think that your incongruity exists. But for stuff like standing on switches and running around and getting through the puzzles themselves, which, like, which one you are doesn't matter. Because the results are always the same. Like, if you if you could, like, break the game and, sw- like, see the perspectives of all of the clones at the same time, nothing would seem outside the realm of the mechanics you're presented with. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Except for that instance where you have to be the one that the camera centered on to pick up the orbs, which open the gates to the new areas, which yeah. is why I asked if the weird gating in that game is maybe uh, incongruous gaminess. It, it definitely is to an extent, I think, because it, they are making Indie Game 101 and layering this interesting stuff on top of it. I'm Yeah. Because at the end of the day, the puzzles are neat, but like, you know, making clones of yourself and manipulating them to open doors is PG Winterbottom and uh, Braid and a bunch of other different games. Yeah. No, I'm... Uh, I... I got nothing to rebut that. But the, the I think the interesting thing there is that the theme is so strong. The, the theme is super strong, and the theme is carried. The, the theme is carried through the central mechanic, even if the actual design around that is very boilerplate. And then yeah. when you get to that final moment of the final choice, and everything's been revealed, it, it still works to an extent. Yeah, and there are moments where even like those mechanics, like. As much as we are breaking this down into mechanics and theme, the actual game feels relatively cohesive in that the environments you're exploring and the puzzles you're dealing with all feel like they are part of this whole like giant space station labyrinth thing. Mm-hmm. Um, which I bring up mostly to talk about the weird zero-G stuff, which is some of my favorite, but has nothing to do with the story or the mechanics. <laughs> no, it just comes out of nowhere and you start clicking to... to do zero g even yeah. though there was no instant there's no indication when you were swapping that that thing fire firing that thing yeah. created for actual force yeah so there are very there are like three parts in the game where you go through zero g or even just outright empty space and usually the game gets very quiet at those moments and there's a lot of stuff floating around and you can't move because you can't like attach to anything until you figure out that your alternate fire of the swap gun, the one that normally transfers your soul to the other 
clone uh, actually creates force that will propel you uh, through these areas. So you kind of fly around shooting your soul. I don't know. <laughs> when you think about how that might <laughs> actually happen, that you're like shooting consciousness out and it's not connecting to anything, it's kind of upsetting. That That is definitely pretty... I, but the game's not the most coherent game in the world. It just has the strong parts... Oh yes, yeah. the the mechanics of the swapper gun are a philosophical exercise more than they are a scientifically sound one. Most definitely, and and also the the puzzle game is good as much as it yeah. doesn't you know make yeah all that maybe sense. it's not particularly unique but like I I will say that like I compared it to other games I felt like the puzzles were much more achievable than like the PJ Winterbottom ones which are that game is crazy hard in like an unreasonable way I feel like. <laughs> And a lot of it with the swapper is that you can only create such a limited number of clones and the puzzle rooms are so restricted. Like it's, there's not like, it is clear how you need to achieve it. You just kind of have to figure out the the steps to do the thing you need to do to get to your goal. Yeah. You never lose sight of the yeah. next thing you need to do, at least on a basis. Sometimes you can get confused, but it's not like you can go, Oh, I've mm-hmm. got no clue how to do that. Cause you can see the orb. And generally, you yeah. can, there's a there's a small number of variables in each puzzle, so you can it can keep track of it. So I suppose we should talk about uh, the reveals at the ending then. Were they really reveals are... though? Because it, it couldn't have gone any other. I mean, there were reveals, but it couldn't have gone any other way. I feel like like the I was not expecting what happened when you met up with the other person. Maybe I should which, have. Which part specifically? Okay, so you're chasing, uh, like, this other, like, doctor scientist, uh, ostensibly the one who shot you into space at the beginning. Yep. And she's obviously crazy, and you find out that she's maybe, like, come into contact with other life forms and use the swapper to, like, blend her consciousness with them, yeah. and it's driven her mad. But when you finally confront her you run up to her and then you absorb her into your body like every other one of the clones revealing that you are just another clone of her yeah be, but because your protagonist is silent uh your character like you the player is never given enough information to put that together other than maybe i read a lot of sci-fi and of course <laughs> but i was surprised by it I, I guess, but in a game about clones, and there's two characters that are both in spacesuits, they are clearly going to be the same character. <laughs> I mean, uh, but yeah, that's, they. I, I also thought you didn't know if you were referring to the fact that all the clones are technically alive. Well, sure. That was. I feel like that's a given. That's, that's, that that's what the I meant. thousands of people that you've created of yourself, <laughs> you've murdered all of them. Well, no, but I was like, was anyone expecting that at some point in this game was going to answer yes? There is a soul. Everything is fine. You are you, and have made it through to the end. Because <laughs> that was never going to happen in many years. No. 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 It's the bleakest game because you've died infinite times, yep. and you just because you've been replicating yourself before you die, you don't realize it. Yeah, exactly. But the the existence of the two long-standing clones enough to come into contact and conflict story-wise, I thought was uh, surprising. I was not a. You're right. Like in retrospect, I totally should have seen it, but I didn't. That, that, that's fair enough. Yeah, because because the atmosphere is so. Also, 
the mystery that it presents is not that mystery. The mystery is never who is the girl. Yeah, it's about what is the nature of this swapping and what are the crazy st- statues that are talking to you. Yeah, so when you come into contact with the girl, it's like, oh, wait, they went in this direction, which they didn't even set up earlier. I mean, they did, but didn't focus your attention on it and thus telegraph it. So at the end, after you've murdered yourself infinite times in your bid to survive and realize that you, the nature of the swapper isn't that it's transferring your soul, but just creating copies and and there is no such thing. It, it's weird. I Okay, I'm conflicted because like it does that, but then obviously there is a transference that happens. There is. Because of how the ending works and how, like, the other you that is the antagonist blended her consciousness by swapping with these things that weren't her. Yep, and also the choice at the end where you can go into the other... That's why it wasn't clear, because it is transferring consciousness. I suppose the difference is, if you're transferring consciousness to a recently creative clone of yourself, there's no way to know. Because there's no blending there, because both, like... In that moment, every like both parties' experiences are exactly the same. It's like laying two identical transparencies on top of each other. There's no way, like, there's no noticeable difference. Yeah. So essentially, it it is, it is a swapper, but it doesn't. It just doesn't erase the one that it left. Essentially. Yeah. It just creates a copy. Yeah. So at the very end of the game, uh, you're given the choice to continue to be a monster and fight for your survival or not when the rescue team arrives on this planet, but they realize that this, what the swapper is and that all of these, like this mechanic is happening and that there's these other consciousnesses and they can't trust you. And so they're like, we're going to leave the planet and you're given the option to swap to the rescue guy or not. Yeah. Everyone should choose to swap. I'm not sure, but everyone Come on. I don't know why you choose to not survive in that instance. It just, I just think it works better for the game. Sure. I mean, the game thematically is about the desire for an individual to survive will, like, oh, like supersede even, like, paradox and, like, metaphysical questions. So why wouldn't you just obliterate Rescue Guy in order to save yourself, yeah, you know? But also the whole premise of the game is the desire to survive is what's killing yourself over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Because you, you are using the swapper to survive and progress, but by using the swapper, you are also dying a bunch. So yeah, be a monster. Don't <laughs> sacrifice yourself. Why would you ever do that? Because it's the good choice, but there's no good choice that I have. I, I like that this, is, that this game sets up a weird moral choice where one of them is obviously a cop-out answer, and it's the good one, because that almost is never the case in video games. No, it is normally, yo, do the good thing, or just be evil for no reason. Whereas in this yeah. case, you have just been being evil the whole time and not realizing it. So... The Swapper is a good game, you would say. It is. I'm less sure now, because... I brought up all of these doubts. You brought up all these doubts, yeah. Because I, I... I think that it can be mechanically inconsistent, oh. but still really interesting. Yeah, no, totally. I think that the question... The question is it... 
I, I don't think any other game has attempted to deal with the whole that specific philosophical question as well as this one, even though there's a bunch of flaws. Mm-hmm. And as the first game by, like, two students, I think it's pretty damn impressive. I, totally, especially with how great it looks, and the style of it, and the whole thing about them making clay models of the whole thing. Yeah, great tone. Very bleak 70s sci-fi. Great sound design. Just listen to that space noise. Yep. Absolutely. So, people should play the Swapper. You should. Not that we're, we're not reviewing games here, but if we were, I would give it three hats. Out of? A sandwich. Cool. It's a good score. Yeah. Not many three hats uh, going these days. I mean, you know, you got you can't break out the three hats for just anybody. <laughs> no, rarely ever do we get a full sandwich. No, no, we're cutting this joke out. An open-faced one at best, <laughs> which, as we all know, might as well just be a taco. I thought this game was going to be a full sandwich. It was just one of those folded-over pieces of bread with ham in the middle. Oh, that's <laughs> upsetting. For our third segment, we're going to talk about Pokemon X and Y, which are new games, even though I said we weren't going to talk about new games on this podcast, but we were playing it, uh, and are the sixth generation of mainline Pokemon titles developed by Game Freak, published by Nintendo, for your portable consoles of choice, in this case the 3DS. Uh, what I think we're going to end up doing is just having a discussion about it, because I come from this as someone who got red and blue the day they came out in America and have been a fan ever since. And Jackson, this is your first rope-a-dope with the Pokemons. Yeah, no, it's my first Pokemon game. And I think instead of just breaking down mechanics and being critical in that way, like we would probably normally do, more interesting is me trying to justify all the weird things about Pokemon to someone who doesn't know. Uh, because Pokemon's kind of weird, and this one in particular is even weirder because the move to 3D made things kind of crazy. Yeah? I so, was, what I'm are your saying... feelings about... Now that we're... I mean, we, we've tried not to talk about it, though I kind of know some of your opinions. Yeah. Now that you've gone through a Pokemon journey, uh, are some sort of Pokemon, uh, maybe not a master, but a devotee, an acolyte, I don't know what word you'd choose, uh, how do you feel about Pokemon? It's so weird! Like, I, I know Pokemon's weird, and everyone talking about Pokemon being weird, but it's really weird. Like, I Coming at it from someone who doesn't who decided deliberately to not look stuff up to not go talk to people much about how to battle pokemon for example the game is abjectly appalling at presenting you with information i didn't even like i don't don't know what type half of the monsters i was fighting were i didn't know what types they were weak to like apparently fairy is weak to bug yeah you should like the thing that you need to play pokemon is like 
the like the only thing I think you actually need is the type chart, which is usually in the uh, the guide, like the manual, which we both downloaded this, right? So, <laughs> I mean, it's probably in the digital manual. It's just a giant spreadsheet, like comparison chart thing. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that, like, without that, uh, Pokemon might as well be the most opaque system in the world. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, because because there was what, 15 types in the first gen, and then they added Steel and Dark in second gen, and then they've added Fairy in this gen. So it's been a pretty static group of typings. So I have almost that entire spreadsheet just in my brain forever because I've played multiple games where that's been a thing. So you tell me you tell me something looks ice, I'm like, oh, I should probably bring out a fire thing. I should probably hit it with fighting because I know they're weak to that. Yeah. Well, that's just standard elemental uh, JRPG combat, which works well. Like, oh, it's a grass Pokemon, I'm going to burn it. Or, oh, it's water, I'll like use ground or whatever it is. But it's where they get into their like fairy and bug. and. Oh, it's well, a fighting type, I should use flying against it. Yeah, I get, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, that one. Even though one of my fighting abilities was really strong against air. And what? And, oh, yeah. Oh. To counter that, because the the... One of like yeah, because there are moves that will counter type weaknesses or be specifically built around exploiting common reversals. But the game and all those systems are there, and I can tell they're there. That's what's frustrating about it is that I'm playing the game, but I know that all this is there, but it's just so hard to discover it, and there's no fun in discovering it. So I probably should have gone online and looked it up and primed myself first. But I wanted the experience of going around this crazy world and finding things out. I think think the problem with Pokemon in particular, in this game especially, is that after so much time, there's so much assumed knowledge that a lot of the systems are never explained. Like, they will teach you how to catch a Pokemon, and that's as far as it goes, and they barely do that. Uh, (laughs) Pretty much. And it's not like you're missing, like, the NPC who will tell you how the game works. There's there's a school that will explain like what the like the status effects are like in like the second town stuff like that. But outside of that, there like there's really nothing there because everybody's played Pokemon, which is fine on one level. If you're gonna have this opaque system which you can poke at and learn how it works, I actually am I'm I'm for that. I think they can do a, a bunch better with it. Like I don't think that. It, it's not very effective or it's super effective are good ways of conveying information because but, but the thing is like everybody like at this point everyone knows that not very effective is half damage and super effective is two times damage or four times damage if you're exploiting both weaknesses but i i don't so uh, yeah no the thing is the game doesn't serve like the thing about pokemon is that on one level it is a kid-friendly rpg where as long as you like fight everybody and are not complete like as long as you exploit the elemental weaknesses using the chart which is in the guide which is in the book you can get past it the other pokemon is a weird math game where every number isn't surfaced and that's the, my central problem with it is that i could tell the other pokemon was there but it was so busy giving me all these things that give me roller skates giving me like on this the most linear the most linear story-driven RPG possible. Like, you go to this town, you go to this town, you fight this guy, this guy, this guy. So, the game design completely prevented me from getting into the other Pokemon because it was 
It didn't encourage experimentation at all. In fact, it actively restricted you at every corner. I don't understand that choice. I don't understand why you'd make a game that ridiculous in terms of systems and then try your best to never acknowledge they exist. I think that... The, the problem is the main story of Pokemon is not really about the plot. You're going around the gyms and collecting badges to get to the Elite Four. But all that basically does is get you into diversifying your team over time. Because you, you get a Pokemon you like, and then it works for one gym, but then the next gym, it obviously doesn't at all. And then, so you have to find something new to put in your team. And then the next Pokemon... Same thing. The next gym, the same thing happens. So you have to add new things, and yeah. eventually, like ideally, it gives you a team that has a wide range of types, which is the like the thing you need is type coverage in any yes. team. Compet like in the little kid Pokemon or the like crazy math Pokemon, type coverage is key. Uh, but yeah, if you're playing this like expecting a story, the thing. The, no, I'm not. I mean, I'm the, saying... The, the, I think that the, the charm that people find in Pokemon is a lot like Dragon Quest in that it's not in the broad picture, but in the... Uh, Dragon Quest is a little more narrative-driven, but uh, it's in the the moment-to-moment interactions with characters because the NPCs in Pokemon are weird in oh, a very yes. goofy Nintendo way. Um, but... And I draw this comparison for multiple reasons, because the way Dragon Quest works is there's an overarching story, but it's kind of stupid. But then each town you go into kind of has like a mini story and a dungeon and a boss wrapped up around it. Like you go into a town that the mines are haunted. You have to go in and clean that out. Or you go into a town where like their totem has been stolen and you have to go and find that. And like each one of those is like a little vignette in the broader picture that is has more flavor and is a little more intimate than the broad overarching thing and pokemon has that but almost on like an npc by npc level where it's like oh here's the kid who likes his shorts and here's the guy who spouts that reggie meme and uh, it is very weird but just like dragon quest the thing that makes it popular is that the people who like it I enjoy the comfort of nestling back into that world where they kind of know where everything how everything's going to go I think the for unless you're hit by fatigue, which happens, the pleasure of Pokemon is that one of them only comes out like every three years, and yeah. you're probably ready for a new one if you're that person when it comes out. But I, I don't think it's this. I don't have any problem with the story. I just have a problem with the, the structure being so being really linear and saying you will fight these Pokemon, then you will fight these Pokemon, then you will fight these Pokemon, which I feel like. Yes, it does gate you into having a varied party by the end, but it also means you're going to have the same kind of varied party by the end. It means that any of... it, it like if, if, if Pokemon was designed as a kind of game that you would start... I don't mean, like... I don't mean random on any level, but I mean, I kind of do. I mean, like, if you started uh, and you didn't know what the next town was going to be, or you didn't know what Pokemon were going to be around you, you didn't know what exactly what starter you would have, I feel like that would make the activities of poking at this opaque system far more rewarding. I'm, uh, yes and no. Uh, I think starters, you have to have the starters because they're the way that they gain moves is radically different than other Pokemon. Uh, they're built to be the one you start with and keep with you the entire game. Yeah. Uh, cause like I caught one of those ghost blades and that guy didn't learn moves for like 10 levels where I was just kind of nursing him along until he got better. 
Oh no, I don't think like you, you can't have you can't start you can't start the game with every Pokemon. No, I don't think you should. But I mean, like you're always going to have the same three starters. You're always going to have the same starting town. You're always going to catch a Pikachu in that first uh, little forest. So I mean, you, the, I mean, your complaint is that traditional Japanese RPG is traditional. Pretty, pretty but it's traditional RPG is traditional, and yet it is bad at being like it's bad at the higher level story stuff. It's bad at uh, making you feel attached to the characters and it's it's bad at all the things that the traditionally a narrative linear rpg like that is rewarding about that and there's things it's good at are this crazy system yeah that it just doesn't it doesn't doesn't mesh to me at all i mean so one of the one of the things that i i because i know i knew that you were not super into pokemon uh going into this i was trying to think about why your complaints happened because i've always thought of pokemon as like a pretty like like high level rpg in a lot of ways um and i think the thing is like the framework of what you do the eight badges and then the elite four hasn't changed since the game boy and that framework and story on the game boy was radical like there was no game like that that was that big, that had a world that you would travel like that, that you would encounter so many people and such, like, a diverse amount of stuff. Yeah. The the original Game Boy Pokemon games were just the craziest things in the world. And because it is what it is, like, the, that framework hasn't evolved, and I think portable games as, rep- like, a representative group have just grown up a lot. Whereas Pokemon has added more systems, but it's relatively the same thing. Mm-hmm. But when you compare like the original Pokemon, which is identifiably similar to Pokemon XY versus like Super Mario 3D Land versus Super Mario Land, like the gulf between those things is so different. Yeah. yeah. Which isn't me making excuses for Pokemon. No, no, no. Uh, it, it is just like why I've not noticed the problems that you point out. Mm-hmm. Because I remember when Pokemon on the Game Boy was crazy. Because it was Tetris and then Pokemon. <laughs> and it's like, how do you reconcile the two things on the same like thing that you carry in your pocket? But also, um, playing that for the first time, the internet, one, probably didn't exist as, as big as it did. And two, everyone knows about Pokemon. I still know about Pokemon. I know what its deal is. So there's no inherent discovery oh, that's, in that's also true. the world. Which yeah. there is in the first time you do it, and because I know about what Pokemon is, then sticking to the same formula, even if someone who's never played it removes all of the benefits of oh, this is crazy and all this craziness. It's instead just it still it, even for the first time, it still felt like going through the motions, which is a really odd way to feel. That, for a no, baby. Y- you were right. Like I, I understand because. I can see that. I felt that way about series before, not necessarily this one because I like Pokemon, but yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, the thing, the other thing I wanted to bring up because you talk about how the story of like evolves the same way is for that other Pokemon, the the Mathy Pokemon. Yeah, uh, and this is going to be a bit of a tangent, so just bear with me because I want to try to explain what competitive Pokemon is. Okay. Because fourth gen Diamond Pearl, I got deep into that, which was a sickness. I was unemployed, is my excuse. Um, Going through up to beating the Elite Four in most Pokemon games since the Game Boy Advance is the first half 
of the game. Like, there isn't narrative after that, but what unlocks afterwards is the real Pokemon, where you get the national Pokedex, and now you can catch all of the, all of the, like, 700 Pokemon, and the game opens up and exposes the high, like, high-level stuff, because... So, each Pokemon is a character with stats, right? Like, they have... Yeah. Their their attack, special attack, the same thing for defense and speed and stuff like that. But then there's natures, which the game doesn't explain, which give you a plus or minus, like a jolly nature Pokemon has one stat is raised and one stat is lowered by like 30% over the course of their lifetime because of that nature. And there's like, I don't know, 20 natures, something like that. The game doesn't explain any of those. <laughs> and then... <laughs> so so for for playing with other players who have figured out these mechanics so they've been playing this game for two decades you have to first thing you have to do is get a pokemon with the right nature which is why breeding is important but then there's also a hidden stat underneath each of those stats like say attack there's a hidden value between one and 31 called an initial value that's set when the pokemon's born that changes how like high in the random number generator, those stats can go up. What? Which will change. And there's a way there's, there is like a character in the game where if you have a lead Pokemon with you and talk to them, they'll be like, Oh, this Pokemon's good at uh, attack. And that's basically telling like surfacing. Oh, it's attack value is probably its highest hidden stat. Uh, there are ways in the game to reveal that if you know, but the game doesn't actually surface. That's what they're about. This, this is the stuff for the metagame players. And then there's also uh, effort values, which every time you kill a Pokemon, you're getting experience, right? But you're also getting a second hidden stat, which is like a experience modifier for your stat growth that's between... I, you can get a total of like 400 of them or so. It's been a while, so I don't remember. And so you kill like... Uh, what a zigzagoon and you'll get one hit point <laughs> hidden value and once you get up to 400 it's over that's the, the total amount you can have but what they do is increase how much that stat goes up as you level up uh it's another modifier on stat growth and that's what the special training is it actually allows you to do that without fighting pokemon because it used to be that if you wanted a pokemon that had its points in hit points and attack, you have to go and fight the mo- only the monsters that gave you hit points and attack hidden XP over and over again, like hundreds of them, until you max that out, and then you could go level up normally. Uh, which is the bizarre hidden numbers game of Pokemon, in that there are three separate unrevealed modifiers on Pokemon stats that... Like, if you read a forum or a wiki, they're all exposed and the math is known. But the game doesn't tell you any of that. It's all just randomized, like, maybe this Pokemon's better than this one. I don't know. What? Uh, which is... And then, the thing that unlocks after the main game in most Pokemon is game challenges that are way harder. They're usually, like, like in Emerald, it was the Battle Frontier, where you'd go and fight special trainers that had much more diverse teams at much higher levels okay. or, or they'd normalize the levels at like 50 or hundred, but all of those Pokemon, like the Pokemon the elite four have don't have any of that modifiers touch. They're more like 
generic blank slate Pokemon. The ones at the end game, the special stuff, all that stuff has been set like a competitive player, like a human player. So to get to that end game involves the, that's where the hundred of hours of Pokemon come from. It's not the main game. It's the breeding and the training that come after that game where you're fighting the opponents that have also done all of those things and have those modifiers manipulated. Okay. Uh, that I, is the the dark hole of competitive Pokemon. Uh, okay, because that was the other area where of Pokemon where I was getting burnt out is the why of all of it. Like, yes, there are all these crazy systems and stuff I can tell there, but and yes, I could try no, no, to catch for them all. for the actuals like you play through the gyms and fight the elite elite four storyline. None of that matters. That is what all is, for meta game, like end game bonus stuff. What and exactly? That's the thing I wanted to bring up specifically about Pokemon XY because we haven't really talked about that specifically. Is because of the move to 3D and how it was obviously very hard to create like 700 models of Pokemon and create this fully 3D world. And it is obvious that the 3DS. As, as much of an improvement it is over the DS, can sometimes barely handle it. Um, when this, with the split screen in the attack, yeah. in the battles, is like four frames a second. Um, the That end game, once you beat the Elite Four, at this point, has just been reduced to like, here's an extra town with like like six buildings, and here's a like endless field where you can f- catch Pokemon based on your friends you have on your friends list. It's, it's a way smaller end game and I feel like the problem with that isn't that... It's not that it demands that you... Like, Pokemon doesn't demand that you interact with those systems. But I feel like the contract of what you're getting out of a Pokemon game should be... It's a, you know, 30-hour fun romp through Nostalgia Town. And then, like, the if you choose to accept it, the hundreds of hours nonsense... Oh, there's a whole other game here that unlocks after you beat the game. Uh, as you would traditionally define it. And that doesn't really exist in Pokemon XY. And I think that makes the uh, like the go through the eight gyms and fight the Elite Four less valuable because it's not setting you up for anything. And even compared to like black and white, I think that the, the path through all of those gyms and the towns and everything is just less interesting the move to 3D really shrunk down the world that you're exploring. Okay, because I, I thought the world was pretty small. Having not played a Pokemon game, I, it, it felt small. I don't know why it felt small. It just felt small. No. It, um, was the, it small or was that just the feel? It, like, it's always been like you follow the routes and you get to the towns and sometimes yeah. there's caves that you go through. But yeah, the general layout of a lot of the areas is like just geographically is smaller than it normally is. Okay. Like, it is just, like, pure yardage size, a smaller game than most Pokemon games. And because of that, it feels like your quest is less significant, and a lot of it feels kind of half-baked. Like, the Team Flare stuff uh, wraps up around the 7th gym in, like, it seems like they shoved, like, the end Team Flare encounter, it seemed like they shoved like three separate story beats that were supposed to happen spaced throughout the game together because they ran out of game to put it in. Yeah. Like, the team in Black and White, you fight all through the game and then after you beat the Elite Four, there's like a whole other extra dungeon thing where you fight all the team for the final time and it's like an extra thing you tackle. And the Team Flare stuff just felt super tacked on and instead you get 
the story of ancient king guy, which is basically real dark. (laughs) But my problem is it's basically like the anime tie in movie shoved into the game (laughs) because that kind of nonsense of like ancient Kings and mystical Pokemon is what every Pokemon movie is. Yes, is just yes, a is. dumb offhand thing where you blunder into someone else's more interesting story and save the day and then you and then it, it, it the world resets and which is what happens with that story yeah. <laughs> all, all the, actually as a story the team flare stuff was was real weird because it was essentially wasn't it lissandra or something is that yeah it? or however you pronounce it yeah he is just this depressed guy who can't see any hope, and just like in the middle of a kids' game, things get the most dark. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, all the Pokemon villain motivation, like Black and White, was like the guy was like, oh, what trainers are actually doing is enslaving Pokemon, so we need to make sure that all Pokemon can be free, and you have to beat that opinion out of him. Because <laughs> the, the, then that makes. Because essentially the whatever Serena I think it was uh, her, she's her story is she's getting really bummed out all the time because you're a group of friends and everyone has their role in the in the group of friends like one of them is the collector and one of them loves dancing because it's Pokemon and and she wants to be a Pokemon trainer except you just fight everything and just get the legendary Pokemon and just everything goes right all the time and she just gets beat. <laughs> like five oh, you mean? Do you mean Shauna? Do you mean the female trainer I mean, model? I mean, the, your rival. Or... Okay. Okay. Because yeah, I had I had the guy, and I feel like he was less. I don't know. He seemed kind of okay with you just taking all the glory in mine. He she gets okay by the end of it, but there's a bit in the middle where you think, oh wait, is this going to go with her joining Team Flare because you've depressed no, her? No, the thing that's weird about this game is that they give you all of the that those five friends. Normally, it's you and like a rival who is much more antagonistic, like outright. Like in the first game, it's the professor's grandson, and you're kind of the favorite. And yeah. Even though he's like. Like, in the first Pokemon game, you beat all of the Elite Four, and you get to the very end, and it's like, oh, well, you could fight the champion, but your rival just came and beat the champion before you, and you have to fight your rival as a champion one last time at the very end. And then, like, in... And so, the the whole concept is that your rival was always better than you until the very end when you prevailed because you loved your Pokemon more. Uh, and then in the second game, your rival, like, actually steals a Pokemon from the Professor, and he's, like, an outright bad guy. Uh, and yeah, the weird, like, we're all friends and the power of friendship nonsense that happens in this game feels less, like, it feels like there was potential to do things with those characters that didn't happen other than Tierno's dancing is some of the best animations in that game. I wish, I wish there was like a mini game where you could actually dance and do Pokemon dancing. Why is that not a thing? I I, I don't know. I'm... I don't know, because he comes up at the end, he's like, I'm going to fight you now. Like, no, can I not have a dance competition with this guy? This guy's all about the dance. Let, let this guy do his thing. Because all you do is, you just kill everything, and everyone loves you. Like, imagine you are uh, a girl, or a boy, or anyone, you're, just like, you're a hiker, there we go, you're one of the hikers, and you're a Pokemon trainer, and you've got a few Pokemon, you're proud, you're proud of your team, and you're just going to stand there, wait for someone to fight you, and you've got these Pokemon you've leveled up, and... Uh, 
this kid comes up to you, this kid comes up, he talks to you, and you're like, I'm gonna challenge you, and suddenly, he throws a Pokeball, and out comes the legendary Pokemon that has been lost for a thousand years, and kills you in one hit! <laughs> like, what the- <laughs> Just, And then you react to it by like, oh, you won because you're so friendly, it's like, no, he's got this god in his pocket, that he's gonna throw out, and destroy you! <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, the incongruity of the Pokemon narrative has always been that. Yeah, it's kind of amazing in this one. I don't know if it's always that, but it was it was amazing. Oh no, because you always end up like with legendaries, and you, you can use them or not. But if you use them, the narrative immediately breaks down to where you are this you are a ten year old running around with the the Pokemon no one's ever seen, yeah, rumored to exist, the power to rend time and space. <laughs> And you destroy everyone. And also, like, when your friends fight you at the end, and you're or, or towards the end, and you're like, I'm going to just challenge my friends in one last battle. And you stomp all of them with your god. <laughs> and they're like, oh, thank you. We're such good friends. And it just makes your guy seem like a psychopath. And he does that one little fist bump at every victory. <laughs> it's just so weird. I mean, obviously, it's going to be, but it's just... If you actually consider what the implications are of Pokemon, it's really weird. No, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Because it is weird abandoned children <laughs> in a socialized wonderland where nothing bad can actually happen except for when you cause animals to fight each other to the death. Except that story of, like, genocide. Sure, genocide. but that's all, like, that's all backstory. That's a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Pokemon's yeah okay. Pokemon's weird. I'll give you yeah, that. It is. I'm not, I'm, I'm pro it being weird. I just the and there were bits with the rival and with like the few because the writing is good. You say like they are good NPCs saying funny crazy stuff. Over nine thousand references because apparently two thousand and thirteen. Um, and and then they don't do anything substantial with any of it. It just is weird. Yeah, that's fair. I, I guess to me the joy is that like I know enough about the world where like navigating the mechanics are trivial at this point, so I, I kind of know what's coming. And to me it's like, go into a new area, new area what cool thing am I going to find? Oh, here's a bunch of nonsense, but like on my 10th <laughs> battle, I found the crazy sword ghost, and I caught him, and I raised him the entire game, and by the end he was unbeatable, and I, pre- I like that. I like building that team. Like, at, at the base, it's a it's a monster tamer RPG, which is is weird because I feel like I hate those characters in more traditional RPGs. It's like you have a party of eight, and one of them is a monster tamer. Who wants to use the dumb monster tamer? Uh, but because Pokemon, each monster has such diversity of move set and things like, and there's so many of them that uh, I, f- I find like finding a good one and raising it up and realizing how much you can just sweep everything is is fun i don't it know is. it's it's a simple mechanical joy there's not a lot of thought to playing through the main story of pokemon no. uh but it is it like like dragon quest as i brought up it's a comfort food rpg it's not it's not hard it's not like deep it's not going to set anyone's world on fire but i find them pleasant yeah. i think there, i think there's a space for games like that but yeah i i don't as like watching a bunch of my friends play Pokemon for the first time, I realized just how unapproachable those games are as someone coming into the sixth gen in 2013. 
I don't. I don't. Because everyone's like, "What? Where's the Pikachu?" It's like you don't want a Pikachu. They suck. <laughs> what everyone is actually like is, "Hey, I caught a Pikachu in five minutes. Guess I can stop playing Pokemon now." <laughs> and then I get angry because I'm like, "You don't want a Pikachu. It's terrible." <laughs> I had a Pikachu in my party at the end of the game. The Pikachu I caught in the first woods. Uh, you didn't. Like you didn't ever evolve it. No. <laughs> Shut up, Pikachu! To the end of the game. But Raichu's so much. Why? This is the thing. Like, some, but, just, because but no, because the game was so easy, I never felt compelled to engage in all those. Also, games. like straight up, the game does not tell you how to evolve Pikachu. I, I assume it's you have to collect a stone. Yeah, it's like you give it an elect stone and it evolves. I knew that but, somehow. Like, the there are so many it. weird one-off evolutions at this point because it used to be. It, there was a couple stone ones. There was a couple you had to trade and they'd evolve. And then most of them just evolved through levels. Now there's like, it has to be exposed to a certain area at night and then it'll evolve. Or <laughs> it has to love you and then get traded to another person holding an item and then it'll evolve. And it's ridiculous. And all that stuff is great, but the game never demands or even asks you to do any of it. it no. It's not designed about... So then when you do it, it's all unsatisfying and leads to a existential, wait, why am I doing this? Wait, why am I doing any video games? Wait, oh no! <laughs> because you want to collect them all, even though at this point, that is... Unless you've been playing the entire time and just have cleared saves where you've been getting everything through trades and stuff, literally impossible to catch them all in X and Y. If those are the two... Like, even if you have both games, you cannot catch them all. I, I enjoyed the bits of... Like, I saw the potential enough when it was there that I'm tempted to go back and get one of the games that's not as unsatisfying. Um, uh, the rumor is that back. they might remake Ruby Sapphire. It's what I've heard going around Twitter. And if that's the case, just wait for that, because those games are pretty good. Okay, because also, if I did go back, I wouldn't have all the other improvements they've made, like AXP Share. Which, yeah, the new XP man. share. Yeah. Uh, like, let me tell you, the I like, can't imagine what that game the would be like rolling up. Uh, it used to, it just used to be way harder to say I'm gonna put this new guy in my team, and just see what happens. Uh, there's a lot of things in XY which you haven't really gone into because it's not interesting unless you're gonna play that meta game that rapidly speed up training and leveling up and things like wow. that. There's <laughs> so many weird. shortcuts in that game that aren't really. Like, it's not really exposed how important they are. They're just left for you to figure out. Uh, Pokemon is a game built for online communities at this point. Like, if you're not using a wiki or on a message board or talking with your friends, uh, you're probably playing it wrong. And that's weird, especially coming from Nintendo, who is a company that seems incapable of doing anything online. Uh, The uh, other friend... I know that played Pokemon are a bit like also huge Pokemon fans and have been disappointed by XY on that front because they felt it was like yeah that's another Pokemon game but there, there's no and they've just made it easier for the for the one side of it but the, they're disappointed by you know the the depth of all the extra Pokemon stuff the wood yeah the lack the utter lack of end game right much. Yeah. yeah which yeah. is a bummer to me because if I if I wanted to get into Pokemon I want to get it I want to play it I'd want to do it, play for the, you know, the hard part. I'd want to actually engage with the systems that I can tell are there. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, in six months they'll release a new online client where basically you select all the Pokemon from everyone available in drop-down boxes and then put in whatever stat alchemy you want and then you fight. And then it becomes like its purest form where all of the leveling is irrelevant. It is 
is your math better than your opponent's math when you because it's all about like predicting what they have and then countering it and then making sure the numbers work out it's a weird game pokemon yeah because because at some point it's literally you throwing out a number and hoping it's bigger than their number uh and also on a completely different note why are they still making two games every time to encourage the community i don't know at this point it's probably just like tradition because yeah, they, do it, they always do it but but um point, yeah. Like, I know, you don't have to encourage the community at this point because the community is so entrenched in the culture of Pokemon. Because Pokemon is about, like, that game is about playing it with people and having the, like, oh, I figured this out or I found this thing. Yeah. And you can do that all the wiki or you can just do it with your friends. I, uh, I mean, it works just as well either way, I think. Uh, it's it's way shorter with the wiki. It was interesting because this game is the first one that was released like worldwide simultaneously. It used to be by the time it came to America, all of the locations of all the secrets were just on a wiki for months now because people got the Japanese version. And this game was the experience of well, how do you get this thing? I don't know. Are there secrets? Maybe. Who knows? It turns out that there aren't. But it could have been. It would have been like there. You know, at the end of. Uh, gold silver after you beat the Elite Four you get a monorail pass where you can take a train and explore the entire map of the first Pokemon game of Red and Blue and that was a crazy thing as a kid and you know, like a I, secret I a secret like that is so hard to keep now in twenty with the internet in 2013 but the way Pokemon was released you pro like it's possible that that could have happened and it would have been amazing. I think the, the difference there is that the first Pokemon game was so iconic. Like, I'm sure when they hit and all the cartoon and stuff, Pokemon was the biggest thing in the world. And so then realizing that you could go back to the first one, I bet was just the best surprise ever. Yeah. Uh, and I don't, I don't think you can replicate that, even if you got something similar uh, you couldn't get anything on that level oh no too. sure but i'm just saying like the the discovery of like community finding things in a game is i think key to what the initial appeal of pokemon was and still kind of is on some level even though that's a weirder thing now like what discovery means in a world with wikis devoted to specific games but now it seems like you're just describing dark souls on in some way like in a community way, absolutely. Yeah, and then On, a bunch of like mechanically, not at all. But no, 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 no. yeah, no. And like, here's a bunch of systems, and guys on message boards are gonna they're gonna break this shit down. Yep. Over a series of years. Yeah. Or then, like the competitive scene is even more like StarCraft, where it's like, here's the way we do things, and then someone creates a counter strategy, and then everyone starts using the counter strategy, so someone <laughs> creates a new strategy. Like it's just cyclical, like over the generations of what strategies work, even in a, even in a same generation of Pokemon, because the community is so connected that yeah. everyone adopts the same tactics, and then they counter that, and then someone creates counter that, and then it creates counter that, and then everyone's using kind of the same things all the time. But I it's weird. I, was gonna, I thought I was going to win because I love my Pokemon the most. No, you will never <laughs> win because you love your Pokemon the most. <laughs> stuff is so bullshit. Just someone needs to just go up to them and say, "No, these Pokemon are tools. You have your math, you have your brain, and you have your Pokemon. Fuck your love." Yep. <laughs> who nicknames their Pokemon? I mean, come on. Monsters. <laughs> Sentimental monsters. <laughs> Don't kid yourself here. So, 
I think that's it. I think we've exhausted Pokemon. I think we have. Which almost makes me sad, because I feel like... Uh, no, it does make me sad, because I beat Pokemon, and I'm like, you know, that was an okay Pokemon. It wasn't great. I appreciate the monumental effort turning that series into, like, a 3D thing is. I It can't be easy. It's an RPG with literally, like, hundreds of characters. How do you do that? Uh, but also, that kind of gives it no benefit past the superficial, oh, look, everything's in 3D. Yep, no. I mean, it was going to happen eventually. I oh, feel yeah. like that. Like this game is the closest to what the show represents and what like people who said, I, can't, I want a console Pokemon that's like the game were, because those people don't know what they were asking for. Um <laughs> I, I, my friends were asking for that and then they grew up a little bit and then they were asking for can I just make a dark Pokemon RPG I'm like, Pokemon's pretty dark I mean you like I wouldn't want a gritty Pokemon because be the, the thing I the thing I like about Pokemon is that some of the designs are super stupid and some of the characters are really goofy and then they all fight and like you'll get your Blaziken just like angular look I'm gonna yep. kill no, like, fighting yeah, some they, they basically give you Pokemon Goku <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, exactly. Pokemon Goku. And he could be fighting like a giant amorphous pink blob. I, I like like Mega Blastoise. Maybe my favorite design in the game. It's like, how are we gonna make Blastoise more extreme? I don't know. Why don't we com- combine the two cannons into just one fuck off cannon on his head? It's the biggest cannon you've ever seen. I uh, <laughs> I was a big fan of Mega Ampharos uh, with his flowing locks of white hair. I have to look up the Mega Ampharos now. Yep! <laughs> yep, that's great! Yep. Oh, that's so good! Yeah. So, yeah, Pokemon. It's a thing. It will continue to be a thing. At this point, I think Pokemon will outlive us both. Do you? Really? Yeah, I do. I think that there are always... I think that you have to be introduced to Pokemon young, maybe. But... I think that there will always be kids being introduced to Pokemon. Because as as much as we complain about the way systems are exposed and stuff, if you're a kid who's just been like, this is a video game like every other video game, and have, like, this is your game for the summer, it's it's a pretty big, crazy experience. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of stuff there. And if your friends are playing it too, like, the interest of it compounds. I feel like the world will move on from Pokemon within 20 years, within 10 years even. I remember people said Pokemon's a fad when the first Pokemon came I don't out. think it's a fad, but I, I don't know. I have a feeling. I don't, Pokemon's not going to be around forever. I don't even know if it's going to be around in, in 10 years. I think that you're crazy. Want to make a bet? <laughs> yeah, sure, we'll bet. What do you want to bet? Okay, I bet $10 if if pokemon is around in 10 years you need to buy me the pokemon that comes out in 10 years okay i mean i i think that's i think you're probably gonna win that but i'll I'll take the bet i'll buy you the pokemon in 10 years and if it if if there's no pokemon i owe you a game okay sure but uh but still even i'll buy you i'll buy you the new digimon game how about that (laughs) digimon ain't gonna fucking exist (laughs) the fact that digimon exists now kind of proves you right. <laughs> if Digimon is still around, then, yeah, of course there's going to be Pokemon until the end of time. I don't know. When's the last Monster Rancher? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Are they still making card captors? <laughs> <sighs> oh. 
Next month, we're going to play Pokemon the Trading Card Game for the Game Boy Color and talk about that. Uh, yeah, well, we're just gonna we're just gonna go go out and buy Pokemon cards and see what's happened to Pokemon cards in fifteen years. I, I I looked. Now all the pictures are CG and they look terrible. What? It used Hang to on. be they it used to be they got a really diverse set of artists, but I feel like every picture I've seen is just a gross CG model that looked like it fell out of like nineteen ninety six. Because all I, I remember Pokemon having crazy well done drawings. Yeah, they were beautiful. Like sometimes it was a dumb CG model, but sometimes it was amazing piece of art. Yeah, like, that's... I remember just playing a bunch of Pokemon cards back in the day and everything just looking crazy. Um, but where I'm trying... I'm looking for new Pokemon cards. Whatever. Yep, they look dumb. Yep. They, that, looks, that looks like garbage. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, the f- fifth season of Reboot got real weird. And that'll do it for games this month. Uh, before we go, we have plugs. But before that, we have questions. If you want to ask us a question, you can get to us on our Twitter, which is... Jackson. Uh, Twitter.com slash abnormal, Ah, shit! I can't talk. Twitter.com slash abnormal mapping. Or you can get to us on <laughs> Gmail. At... Abnormal mapping? No. Questions are... No, no. I'm bad at this. I'm very bad at this. I'm a poor podcastman. <laughs> What's our email address? This is a test? Yes. <laughs> you said it at the beginning of the show, and it is... It's, um, it's not abnormalmapping at gmail.com. No. It's, there's a bit before. No. There's a bit there's after? A, yes. Abnormal... Mapping po- abnormal mapping podcast at gmail.com. Yes, that is our email. Thank you. Or you can, you can ask see, us a ways. question on Tumblr. You can get us on Tumblr at abnormalmapping.tumblr.com because I don't trust Jackson to know that. <laughs> I, that was the one I did know. But as you can see, all three of these ways to reach us are extremely memorable and succinct. They're, they're pretty straightforward. <laughs> yeah, I'm just dumb. <laughs> so our first question... Um, comes to us off of Twitter from Scott Emsley? Is that how I you say so. it? Scott Emsley, yeah. Or, okay. Think, yeah. And his question is, how important is interactivity versus story in games given such titles as 30 Flights of Loving? Do you have an answer? Are you dead? <laughs> I was about to say something. I was waiting for you to say something. And then it was silent. I was like, no, i just got to ride the silence out now. Um <clears throat> I think with that one, I would say that interactivity, it, I don't know what he means by 30 flights of loving because. Okay. So I, I think the core of this question is that 30 flights of loving is a game that is based around you walking through an environment. A story happens to you. Yeah, but it's, it is extremely, the fact that it is interactive completely defines that story. I, I don't, I think that interactivity in games should be a medium for expressing story. I don't think... But, like, by tr- like I guess... I understand. How do you identify interactivity? Like, because you don't... I don't think you click on anything in that game. You just literally use WASDA to move look, and look around I think any, any input that results in an output um, is interactivity with a video game. It's, I'm fairly sure that's what I call it as. I, walking through a space is still interacting with a video game. 
Okay. That's, the, that's what it is to me, at least. I mean, I, I, I'm willing to agree with you. I'm just trying to represent Scott's, I, what I assume his yeah, point yeah. is. Well, I think his point is more that, um, is it about, if you're trying to convey meaning for a video game, uh, how much do the mechanics matter versus how much the actual content of the story matters? In the case of 30 Flights of Loving, 30 Flights of Loving is a weird thing because it's obviously experimental in that it's trying to marry your actions traversing a space with like traditional cinematic techniques like montage and jump cuts. And that's kind of really the actual point of that game is to see how well that will work. Yeah. And I, yes, yeah. I, think, I think it works really well. I think 30 Flights of Loving is a really amazing game. But... Inherently, the interactivity in that game is the important thing. The fact that, you know, you're running down a hallway and suddenly it jump cuts and there's, like, cops around you and you're pushing a guy on a cart and it jump cuts and you're on a motorcycle and it jump cuts and you're in an apartment with the the woman you loved who betrayed you or whatever the actual story is. Because the actual story in 35th Loving is totally irrelevant. Yeah, exactly. The actual story there is, it's a heist movie, yo. Well, it's in parts of a heist movie. Yeah. It's... The interactivity is how you marry movement through space and movement through time in a narrative framework that goes further in games as chasing cinema. Because as... like a lot of games are like, oh, we're inspired by Hollywood movies. But what that means is in between the parts where you do stuff, you watch cutscenes. Yeah. And 30 Flights of Loving is like, no, we can actually make this more of a, you are traversing the space represented by edits and shot selection that are much more actually core parts of cinema. Exactly. And in, in 30 Flights of Loving, both interactivity and story are essentially the same thing there. Whereas, for example, in a game like The Swapper, they are kept way more separate, as we were talking about earlier. Uh, uh, whereas there, there's a more interesting question of, how much of those mechanics could you take out and how much of that game could you like remove and still have it be as impactful with the ideas and story that it's trying to suggest to you? Yeah. And the only thing you could take out is movement. And if you do that, it just turns into a, like a small animated movie. And if you do that, I feel like the point is lost. Oh, I, I agree. But I mean, more like you can like cut, I mean, cutting content and cutting, like you could cut the, like you say, the the space sections, or you could... Would that game be as interesting if the later puzzles weren't as difficult? Oh, you were talking about the Swapper. I'm talking about 30 Flights of Loving. Oh, yes. No, no, no. I'm saying there that they are... That's such a small, finely refined thing that that is... Like, you can't separate any part of that game from any other part of that game because it is essentially an idea in game form. Whereas if you look at it a more, if you look at that question and apply it to more longer form, projects, oh, there's, I think there's a lot of stuff you can cut out the swapper and it would still be at its core the same thing. Well, ex- exactly. And what part is the important part there? Is and I think that says more about what the, who the player is and what they take away than what the game presents. Yeah. Because you could I just agree. play that as a cool puzzle game and it's it's off, it's fine that way. Yeah. I I am less interested in that part of the game because I don't really like puzzle platformers are dime a dozen honestly as far as i'm concerned but uh pretty much the the important part is how that gun that shoots people what that means about ideas of what the self is yeah so i guess that's our answer also see our entire discussion on pokemon's narrative (laughs) 
I, I don't. Did we talk about interactivity in that game? I don't know. I feel like we, we didn't. talked about both of them. The, the, in Pokemon, there's the most separate rooms. It is oh, I'm fighting, or oh, I'm engaging in seeing what this town's going on with. Like the story and the interactivity of Pokemon are just kept in completely different continents. Is my point. I guess that answers the question. Or does it? I don't know. I'm not going to continue thinking about it. Our second question comes from Paul Douglas, also via Twitter. He says, lots of speculation about Crash Bandicoot making a comeback this generation. Either of you into the idea? I I would like a new Crash Bandicoot game, and then it would be really, really bad. Then I'd be bummed. I would like... The thing is, I, I think the first Crash Bandicoot game, like the original PlayStation Crash Bandicoot game, is a really interesting thing. I uh, I will link to it in the article, or in the podcast notes. There's an amazing multi-part making of Crash Bandicoot feature that anybody should read that deals with like the birth of the PlayStation and how 3D games were even being conceived of at the time, because it was a real mess. Uh, anyone who had a pre-PlayStation or 64 console that tried to do 3D can attest to that, because they're all garbage. Um, but I don't think there's anything that Crash Bandicoot does or is represents that is maybe interesting anymore. Well, it is a platformer you remember from when you were younger. Sure, but like Mario has a very specific jump and like traversal mechanic, and at this point, like Mario is about the jump and the suits. Like that's what Mario is. Yeah, uh, and. Ratchet and Clank is about like sliding on rails and crazy novelty guns. That's what that is. It's I, to me, Crash is about uh, spinning uh, into boxes. Spinning into Crash is about racially problematic tribal, tribal masks. Yep, and essentially speed. Uh, running into the camera because it is a straight line. <laughs> yes, running into the camera. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. <laughs> because it is a straight line. <laughs> And these, there are these, like, there are either boxes you jump on to get things, or boxes you avoid to get explosion. It is uh, far more reflex-based, far more just, I want to get from A to B as quickly as possible. Whereas uh, Mario, again, is slightly more, has, you know, Mario has more finesse than Crash Bandicoot. uh, Statements that won't offend anyone there. I mean, that's a given. Come yeah, on. Exactly. Anyone who wants to argue that with us, write in and we'll maybe we'll have you on to have that discussion because I think it'd be interesting to have. You're wrong, but we'll have that discussion. <laughs> but I think that is Crash's core identity is way So more what you're saying straight. is that Crash is just Sonic. No, because Sonic Sonic isn't as much about going fast as it as it purports to be. Whereas Crash doesn't actually go fast, fast, but it's about... I never played through. Crash as a fast game. I was a pretty methodical Crash player. Then why were you playing Crash Bandicoot? Maybe this is just going to be how we play how we play games differently then. It's weird, because with Mario, I'm a don't-stop-for-nothing kind of guy. Yeah, that's pretty much all platforms for me, but that's how you do them. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I think it, for me it was something about... like. How much it emphasized getting all the collectible doodads, you know, like you got to break all the boxes, so I'd do that. Yeah, exactly. the fact that it, the fact that it rated how many boxes he broke, even if I don't even know if that unlocked anything, I don't remember. But the fact that it rated it meant that I had to do it. <laughs> like it, it, yeah. it influenced behavior by giving you that metric. 
Mario doesn't care how many Goombas you stomp or how many question mark blocks you hit, which is why my goal is to just be as death-defying and crazy fast as possible. Yeah. Okay, yeah, no, I, I, apart from the straight line obstacles, which is pretty much Mario, Crash doesn't have anywhere near the identity that those other games have at all. And at this point, Crash is owned by Activision, which, what are they going to do? Are they going to create a line of RFID tag toys that you can put on a portal? Probably. How would you like to see all those masks hanging up for kids? Just be like, buy your own Aku Aku mask and be sad or something. Maybe, like, if you put on the mask, the, the camera in the current gen of consoles will recognize the mask <laughs> and then yes. do something like load a new level. Yes, exactly. This is clearly where we're going in this new generation of consoles. Crash they're not gonna. Masks. They're not going to make a new Crash Bandicoot game that's for, like, people who actually care about games it's going to be for kids because it's activision and it's a mascot character pretty much and well, they tried that and they made terrible games i mean in an ideal world i'd like to see more well thought out platformers and i think that crash's utter lack of like exploration based levels because there's no like exploring in crash bandicoot maybe in like the ones after naughty dog left but not in the original ones uh is like I'd I'd be interested in seeing something like that. Yeah, the, the, yeah, I would agree. Maybe in like a, I don't know, like Rayman Legends exist. Who thought Rayman was going to come back? No one. And then it did, and it was great. So I'm willing to admit that maybe there's room for Crash Bandicoot. Uh, but if we want to talk about PlayStation games that should exist, where's Parappa the Rapper? Where's Parappa the Rapper? In the past. No, Parappa the Rapper lives in our hearts, Jackson. I've never played Parappa the Rapper. I mean, it's hard to do that now because, well, the the PSP version's fine, I guess. Um, if you play, like, the PS1 version on a modern TV, the lag makes that game nearly impossible. Uh, oh. Because it was a rhythm game before Guitar Hero, which means it was stupid hard. Uh, but Parappa the Rapper's a great game. He's a dog who raps... He's called Parappa. He wants to believe. I want to believe that the world still has room for Parappa the Rapper. Okay. I I guess that's my answer. Uh, I will throw in that maybe they should try to make a new medieval because Callum exists. (laughs) I've never played medieval, but I'm told it is very good and they should try that again. It's an interesting idea. I think the, the character has a lot of potential. The game itself is... 3D platformer on the PlayStation, so it's garbage. But there's a lot of there's a lot of like you know there's a lot of flavor, and I think it's hard to create cool characters with flavor anymore or at all. So yeah. you know, why try risking a new one when you can use one that works? Yeah, or something. Yeah. That is the most corporate response. <laughs> I should feel ashamed of myself. You should, but you're using me in that as a guise to get cool things back. As in, this won't come happen any other way, so you're going to have I mean, to do it under... Maybe it will. I mean, there was that Boogerman Kickstarter, right? People are resurrecting the ones nobody cares about, so... That is true. They are doing that, yes. I don't, uh, even, know, I don't even know it was a game before. Boogerman? Oh, yeah. It was dumb. It was terrible. Yeah, I'm going to continue to not know anything about it. You know, it also was terrible Earthworm Jim. I'll throw down for that. Yep, I'm not going to argue that. I've never played it, and I don't want to. You're fine. Good. And uh, 
Glover. Glover's pretty bad, too. I'm just going to mention Glover on every podcast. <laughs> that's, okay. That's our new meme, Glover. What if they brought back Banjo and Kazooie? I, they did, and it was great, and nobody bought it. So, Banjo Kazooie, nuts and bolts, in bargain bins now. You could probably buy that game for about $3. You probably could. And it's, it's great. All, it's all about that. I mean, it, it's one of the reasons I will keep my Xbox 360 until it breaks. So in case you feel the need to go back and play some more Banjo Kazooie, have nuts and bolts. Yeah, there's like three or four games that justify keeping that thing around. That's okay. one of them. And our third and final question comes to us via Tumblr. Destiny Sturdivant asks, what is game? God damn it. God damn it. Yeah. God damn it. Thanks. Yeah. Video games. Okay. What is game, Jackson? Uh... I don't know, but I know it when I see it. That's really your answer? I feel like this is a bigger philosophical question. What is game? Game is... What are games or what is game? What is game? What is game? (laughs) I mean, you could... If you want to answer what are games, I think that's a valid answer to that question. Yeah, but what is game? As the concept of game... That seems to be more... that, That implies a different question, which is nothing to do with video games. Within Does it? How much... Does it really? What is game? As in, game. What is game as a thing you can possess? Like I have game. What is game? I don't think she's asking about. I don't think she is game as well, but... a social idea. <laughs> yeah, but if you phrase it as what is game, that is what the question is, means. Okay, Jackson, you're the expert. Tell us what is game. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, do you mean video? Um. Game. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. (laughs) Don't thank me. Thank our listener. Thanks, listener. Thanks. Yep. Now uh, my girlfriend knows you hate her. No. No. Because you're telling me that that was a genuine question and not, oh, this would be hilarious if I said, what is game? (laughs) Uh, I mean, you know, you know why she asked. I know why she asked. And I know why you told me not to look at it now. I know everything has become clear. It was a moment of... I dropped the coffee cup and everything was clear. I saw what is game written on the board and it all made sense now. I didn't expect us to throw you for such a loop. I don't think it's a hard question. What is the answer then? Tetris. Tetris is game. And that's the final word on that. Tetris is game. You can find me at LitRock, L-I-T-R-O-C-K. And at Talia002, which is T-Y-L-E-A-002 on Twitter. And you can find both of us at Abnormal Mapping. And we'll be back next month where we're talking about two video games. Jackson, what game did you bring to the table? What is game? Uh, Vanquish and the other one. I forgot what it's called. Shiva. Shiva. You chose Vanquish by Platinum Games, <laughs> and I chose the Shiva Kosher Edition, which is a special edition of the adventure game The Shiva, which came out in 2006 uh, by Wajidai Games. Should be pretty good. We might Should have be. a guest. I don't know. I haven't figured that part out yet. I'm excited to play both of those Rocket Legs. I've been playing a lot of... Well, I've played 
one of five acts of Vanquish. Oh, it's got acts? Oh, it has five okay. acts. Oh, oh man. Okay, we're going to have to end this podcast right now then. Why? God damn it, man. <laughs>